2: You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production in association with City News.
0: I don't care where you live in this country. If it is a city of any size, or even a large town, there's probably an encampment in one of your parks. It may have been there for months, at this point, for years— And winter is about to hit hard. Ever since Canada's housing prices and rents began to climb towards the sky, the number of people living on streets or in parks or, during the pandemic, in temporary shelters and hotels and other buildings, has spiked. And it hasn't stopped. I would tell you by how much, but as you're about to learn, that's a problem too. Cities across this country have responded in different ways. Some by tacitly allowing the encampments, others by violently tearing them down, and all sorts of measures in between. But what very few municipalities or governments at any level have done is actually tackle the root cause, or create the sort of housing at scale that would make a difference. And now, as the coldest time of the year approaches, as temporary pandemic shelters close, pushing hundreds into the streets, and as even the West Coast sees a sudden dump of snow, the whole thing is about to come to a head. So maybe we should do something about that. And by that, of course, I mean our elected officials, but also like you and me right now. So how? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Jen St. Dennis is a reporter with The E in Vancouver, where she writes about housing and other civic issues. Hello, Jen. Hi, Jordan. Thanks
1: for having
0: me on. You're welcome. Um, it's a good time of the year to talk about homelessness, I guess, uh, given the current state of the crisis in Canada, any time is a good time.
1: Yeah, I I guess we think of this often in winter because people are suffering so much. But really, it's, you know, it's a problem throughout the year. I'm thinking about the extreme heat that we've had and, right. um, and how that affects people, too. So, sure, any time of year, a good time to look at this issue.
0: Well, let's start maybe with you kind of painting a picture of what it can be like uh, in Vancouver. I know you visited an encampment in Crab Park in Vancouver earlier this year. Can you just describe it? Um, what was it like?
1: Yeah, in my reporting, I try to kind of check in on these large encampments every so often. I usually arrange with an advocate to just kind of go around and um, speak to anyone who wants to speak and just kind of see what conditions are like. So I went to Crab Park um, way back in the spring, and it's been there for a while now since uh 2021 is when they moved there. Um, Crab Park is a park that's kind of carved off from the rest of the city. It's separated from the downtown area by a road and an overpass, and it's right next to the port. So there's not a lot of houses around it or people that live. Right. So people went there after um, they had to move out of first Oppenheimer Park, which is a park in the downtown east side, and then Strathcona Park, um, which is another park in more of a residential neighbourhood. And then they ended up at Crab Park. You know, when you walk through, I guess what always comes to mind is that really long historical memory of when we had hobo jungles is what they were called in the 1930s. And I think that's actually, I mean, it sounds a bit shocking, but I think that's back where we are today. Hmm. People living in tents uh, with sort of stuff piled around them, all their belongings. Often it gets quite muddy in the winter. So there's often problems with like just a lot of mud being churned up. People will often talk to me about being, um, they're often happy Health problems; they're sick when they're in their tent. Right. So it's a really sobering situation when you're in the when you're in the encampment. Um, at the same time, there are advocates and supporters who are helping people, and there is a sense of community. There's communal meals being cooked. Um, you know, people have their pets. So um, it is sobering, but it's also home for people.
0: I'm going to ask you one question. It's not rhetorical. Who are these people? Because I really fear. Often, that when we talk about this issue, um, people who are living in these encampments, we try to see them as very far away from ourselves, possibly because we don't want to think about ourselves uh, in that way. But they're not.
1: Yeah. I mean, most of the people, I, I do a lot of reporting in Vancouver's downtown East Side neighborhood, which is where a lot of these encampments are centered because right. the downtown East Side is this neighborhood where people are often struggling with poverty, um, things like mental health issues, addiction, and the effects of colonialization, frankly, like people coming there from residential school back in the day, and then intergenerational trauma. So, you know, I go into the single room occupancy hotels as well and talk to people about their living conditions, which is not much better than homelessness, like it's one degree up. I would just really emphasize that the biggest problem that most of these people are dealing with is poverty. And a lot of the times, you know, people are dealing with things that have led to that poverty. So whether it's a disability, um, a physical disability, or a mental health issue, or an addiction that has really been caused by the other things going on in their lives, whether that is you know, dealing with chronic pain that they haven't been able to deal with or dealing with um, childhood or intergenerational trauma. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I really would emphasize that most of these people, the biggest issue they have is poverty.
0: What has the city of Vancouver said about or done about the Crab Park encampment? You mentioned uh, that people moved there after kind of being kicked out of a couple of other parks. I'm speaking to now from Toronto and our listeners here are quite familiar with these encampments being raided and destroyed by police, often with uh, fences and guards put up uh, to prevent people from coming back. It sounds from what you're telling me like there's sort of a, a tacit live and let live thing going on there right now. Is that true?
1: Yeah, in Crab Park, yes. There's another encampment, though, on East Hastings Street, on the sidewalk, actually, uh, which is quite different. and The city is trying to remove it right now. It has been for months. So Vancouver has had a permanent tent city since 2016, which is when our homeless crisis, like it certainly was in place before that. But in 2016, we had like an enormous spike in housing prices. Mm -hmm. And we had after years of seeing homelessness stay steady or even go down, homelessness went up in 2016 and it's never stopped going up after that. And so we have had these tent cities in our city for many years now, and they kind of just move from place to place. And so the city and along with BC Housing and sometimes the province has developed this sort of playbook that they that they do. They go in, they gather up a bunch of shelter spots and usually SRO rooms, sometimes like better housing spots as well. And they offer those to people. And then it's sort of this process that usually happens over a number of months where they try to offer people housing right. and then they gradually fence off the park or whatever it is, the vacant lot or Um, even at the sidewalk and on East Hastings. And they just gradually do that until most people are gone. And then there's maybe a few holdouts and then they are also kind of removed. So it's not this kind of thing that we see in Toronto where the police are going in and just like, I guess, destroying the encampment on one day. Mm -hmm. But even that playbook, though, of sort of doing it gradually and trying to offer people housing has kind of broken down. And this is why Crab Park is still there. There was a Supreme Court decision that found that a lot of the times when they're offering people shelter spots, those spots may not actually be available. And then also when they're offering people a room in a single room occupancy hotel, even when these buildings are being operated by a nonprofit operator, you know, with government funding to try to offer supports, the conditions inside the hotels are still Very, very poor. I know I talked to a couple who had had their their window was broken for two years. They hadn't been able to get it fixed, for instance. So just like really horrific conditions. And so the judge actually determined that the housing that B.C. Housing and the city had been offering people was not adequate and so gave them the right to stay in the park. And so that is why Crab Park is still there. Now, East Hastings is a little different you know, people are really jammed in or were jammed in there during the summer and they were really impeding the sidewalk and impeding, you know, doorways along the street because it's just a normal street it has a lot of of residential buildings, a lot of social housing actually on that street. So there was a lot of conflict. And so the city has been trying to get people to move along, but they don't have any more spots. They just don't have any more shelter spots to offer people. So it's created the situation where people are just kind of Moving around the block, they're hmm. not really being offered any real like permanent housing options, at least some of them aren't.
0: You mentioned that homelessness, at least in Vancouver, started to go up in 2016 and has never stopped going up since. Let's talk about the big picture. Um, is that happening everywhere in Canada? What do we know about increasing homelessness in this country?
1: Well, yeah, I'll just go back to that comment I made about housing prices going up in 2016. So I think this is quite key. I think that people have all these different kind of perceptions of why people are homeless. Um, Yeah. But yeah, we really saw this quite clearly in 2016 in Vancouver when housing and rent prices just shot through the roof in, in like one year. It was a really destabilizing thing that happened in the housing market and homeowners were doing really well, but renters were really suffering. And then we started to see homelessness going up during the pandemic, you know, we thought that this would be like a moderating effect on the housing market. People were worried about their jobs and the future. But actually what happened was people did this huge run up in kind of home home selling and home buying mm-hmm. and home prices went up again. And we have again seen what I am guessing because we stopped doing our homeless count in Vancouver. But what I'm guessing is an increase in homelessness across the country. And we started seeing this in smaller centers, too. Right. I was in Kingston in the summer because I have family there. And and there's a tent city in, in Kingston, like a relatively smallish kind of city. So we're sort of seeing these increasing encampments, um, not only in the big cities, but in, in smaller towns as well.
0: It is kind of nuts that we don't have national uh, reliable numbers on this. Um, Although I guess I shouldn't be surprised because as we frequently find out on this program, uh, we often don't have reliable national numbers for a lot of things.
1: Yeah, this is a Canadian problem for sure. It's almost (laughs) like we don't really want to see the problem sometimes. Maybe that's just my like cranky reporter um, viewpoint. But yeah, this is one more example of, geez, we don't have national data on homelessness, which seems kind of nuts.
0: Are there numbers um, either at the front end that indicate homelessness is coming or the back end that can tell us um, what we need to know about if it's on the rise or not uh, at scale?
1: For a recent story, I wanted to pull out and take a more national view, and I did kind of look at a range of things. So I talked to this organization um, called the Canadian Alliance to End Homelessness, and they actually did have some numbers. They work with 40 communities across Canada And 19 of those communities keep detailed data. And so then they sort of said, so those 19 communities that keep detailed data, 70% of those had recorded increases in chronic homelessness. And of those increases, the average was 60%. And I'm like, okay, well, 19 communities, you know, that seems like a pretty high increase. I also looked at food bank use because that's an early indication of homelessness. And yes, we know that across the country, food bank use is up by about 20%. And then, you know, I really have to pay attention to the numbers in British Columbia. The coroner came out with um, these pretty shocking numbers that homeless deaths have gone up and gone up a shocking amount. Um, In 2019, there were 129 homeless people who died. And in 2021, that that number nearly doubled to 247. So that to me, that just indicates, you know, there's something all of those numbers together. We can kind of pull them together and say, like, yes, the thing that you're seeing, which is you know, probably you're seeing an encampment in your home community. So it's probably an indication of something going on.
0: One of the things that we are constantly talking about uh, here in Ontario, probably in BC too, and certainly the federal government is talking about this a lot recently, is the need for more affordable housing to help end homelessness. What is being done on that front by the federal government? And when you talk to the experts, what do they say about How much of a difference that makes in terms of being able to actually get people off the street and into this affordable housing?
1: Yeah, I think this is a continual challenge. So we have seen both the federal government and, you know, in B.C., we've seen the provincial government both really, really focus on sort of developing these housing programs. And that's that's a good move. And the federal one is called the National Housing Strategy a lot of experts really pin, you know, our homelessness crisis on the federal government because back in the 80s and then really there was a hard cut in the 90s where they just got out of building housing entirely and they left it to the provinces and they focused instead on encouraging home Right. And, you know, there's multiple experts who say, you know, we didn't have mass homelessness before this period. And this was a really disastrous move. So it's a really great move that in 2017, you know, with the election of the Federal liberals—they started this national housing strategy again and said we're going to get back into housing. I think though, what we've heard from every expert I've talked to is that the money that they've committed and the housing targets they've committed have just not been adequate. It's just not a large enough program. I talked to an expert who said, you know, we used to build like 16,000 units of affordable housing, like whatever range that was a year, and now we're kind of we have right now our the federal target is like 16,000 over five years so it's just it's far below what we used to do and it's just it's not really adequate and there was a recent auditor general report as well that kind of talked about how they weren't actually weren't actually even measuring what the impact was and some criticisms too about whether the people who are in most need of housing so people who need deep deep subsidies which is the hardest housing to build because you Mm -hmm. need the most money to prop it up questioning whether those people were being well served by the national housing strategy
0: When we talk about building housing, too, you know, even in policies change tomorrow, uh, those actual roofs over people's heads are still years away. What can make a difference in terms of stemming the rising tide like right now? You know, uh, I'm I'm assuming that in basically every community, shelter space is maxed out. It's certainly the case uh, here in Ontario and in B.C. What can we do to mitigate this?
1: Well, I when I was talking to Tim Richter of the Canadian Alliance to End Homelessness, he had a really interesting take on this, and I had never heard this before. Maybe I'm just maybe I just have never talked to the right people. But he argued that you know it's great we're building new housing, but it takes time to build it, and meanwhile we we are losing way more affordable housing than we're building just because it's the rents are rising, it's being like renovated into you know more middle class or upper class housing. So mm-hmm. even though we're building New housing and that's great. We are not doing it at the rate that we need to to kind of maintain our stock of affordable housing. And uh, Tim actually really argued for treating this as like more like a natural disaster. So he argued, he said, you know, when there's flooding or a wildfire and people have to leave their homes, you know, they get housed and they get supports. Um, why would this be any different? And so he was arguing for. Some sort of income support, sort of like the CERB program that we saw during the pandemic, which was like an emergency support to um, make sure that people did not become homeless and did not get so far out of, you know, the economic system that they just went into poverty. So he's sort of arguing, you know, I think we're at that point where we're seeing this wave of homelessness and it's a huge problem and we need to look at how to prevent people from falling into homelessness. Um, And the cost of living is a huge issue that's both affecting people on rent and just on basic things like groceries. And so he was really arguing for some sort of emergency income support program to prevent people from becoming homeless.
0: In the meantime, aside from pushing for that stuff and pushing governments on housing, um, what can people who are listening to this right now Do to help it scale? Like, and I guess what I'm trying to figure out is where are our resources best used if we're trying to make this coming winter uh, more livable for people who are struggling with this?
1: So I know there's, you know, this is the time of year when we're thinking about giving to charities, and there's lots of great charities out there that are doing a whole bunch of things from running shelters to feeding people, collecting blankets and um, warm clothing for homeless people. And those, those charities are great to support. I would kind of encourage people, though, to look a little bit beyond that and think about, you know, if, if a new social housing development was proposed in my neighborhood and people who had been homeless, if there was talk about housing them, you know, in my neighborhood on, on my block, how would I feel about that? And what do I need to learn to maybe feel OK about supporting that decision? Because a lot of the time we see, you know, new housing proposed in neighborhoods in Vancouver, we tend to put a lot of our social housing in the downtown east side, but whenever there's something proposed out of that neighborhood, there's often a lot of opposition and a lot of fear. Hmm. And that prevents people from being housed, frankly, like that, that really slows down housing. So I'd really challenge people to think about how they could welcome new housing to their neighborhood because people really do, like the solution really is to house people in proper, proper housing, not single room occupancy hotels, but you know, little apartments that they can live in and lock their door and have security.
0: Last question. When you talk to these folks uh, in Crab Park or elsewhere, what do they see on the horizon and, and what do they need?
1: Well, what they often talk about is how when they're offered these options like a shelter spot or a single room occupancy hotel, they've had really bad experiences living in those places. You know, in shelters, yeah. they've had their stuff stolen. Um, in SROs, they've had horrible bed bug inf- infestations, rats, just you name it, security, probably, you know, women have been assaulted. And what they always say to me is that I want a, a real apartment. I need a real apartment. And that, that is what, that's really what they want. So it's really as basic as that.
0: Jen, thank you so much for this. And uh, I think it's really valuable to people out there who who see the encampments and uh, don't understand the complex stuff behind them.
1: Thanks so much. Thanks for tackling this topic.
0: Jen St. Denis, reporter for the Tai. That was The Big Story. For more, you can head to thebigstorypodcast.ca where you will find a way to contact us. There are many ways to contact us. And right now, as I mentioned yesterday... We're looking to hear who you'd like to hear from in our end-of-year wrap-up episodes. We'll only be doing a couple of them, so we probably won't focus on one particular specific issue, but rather an overview of a year that has enough in it for 10. So, if you have an idea, if you have a favorite guest or a favorite friend of the show, send it along to us. You can do that on Twitter, at the Big Story FPN. You can, of course, email us hello at the and you can even call 416 935 5935 and speak your wishes into existence. This podcast is available wherever you get them, and of course, it's available on smart speakers. Just ask yours to play the Big Story Podcast. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow.